Hello, this is the Ready Room, the Treks and Sci-Fi Microcast. This is Kenny, and we're about to take a listen to some great post readings. Accessing library computer data. Initiating the story so far. Enter when ready. Theron sat in the back of the shuttlecraft and carefully removed his disguise. He still felt weak from the gas that his father had hit him with earlier. Coughing, he struggled to get his vocal cords working and his voice to sound natural instead of that of a cackling old man. Andrews turned in the pilot's seat and looked at him surprised. Who? He paused and shook his head. Well, this is going well, he continued sarcastically. First the guys with the money get caned by a Ferengi and now the passenger. His voice trailed off in confusion. Theron stood up, checking his pockets until he found his cloaking device. It was cracked, and the operation being flickered on and off in an unusual manner. He walked across the floor and looked at the scanner. If you're going to fly this thing, may I suggest you stop looking at me and concentrate on getting us the hell out of here. Easy for you to say, Nick Andrews snapped back. A glare from Theron was enough to turn him back to the panel in front of him. Who's paying for this ride is what I want to know, the now ex-Starfleet lieutenant muttered under his breath. Theron left Andrews at the pilot's seat and began looking at all the sensors. He was looking for his father's ship. Damn it. It's still cloaked. Turning back, he rammed himself into the second seat and glared at Andrews, whose attitude began to falter. What's the matter, trader? Is the sweat making your driving skills dodgy? Andrews glanced at the agent. He didn't know who he was. He'd ended up on board the shuttle with an old man, not this intimidating Australian. Where's the old man? What did you do with him? Theron stood up and smacked him across the face with the back of his hand. I'm not concerned with your questions. Get up. Andrews stood slowly, wiping his mouth with the back of his hand. He'd crashed in his career for this idiot, and he hadn't been by choice. He'd had enough. This was a nicely planned operation until the old man came along and hitched a ride. While the others agreed to take him is anyone's guess. The three of us were all set and... Andrews broke up. As he was speaking, he'd slowly worked his way across the cabin, and now, judging his position carefully, he lunged, throwing both fists into the back of the agent's neck. Theron fell into the control panel with a satisfying crunch as he cracked the plexiglass. Lifting his arms again for another blow, Andrews advanced. I've wrecked a perfectly good, if dull, career for you, he shouted. As the fists swung down, Theron moved, and the flesh of Lieutenant Andrews' hands crashed into the already damaged screen. Sparks flew, smoke ejected, and Theron took advantage. <laughs> You've made my job a lot harder, trader, and the best thing you can do is... Theron grabbed Andrews from the panel and lifted him to head height and glided his forehead into Andrews' nose, shattering it on impact. The lieutenant collapsed on the floor, out cold. Theron dropped into the pilot's seat and his fingers glided over the remaining section of the control panel. He tapped a small glass screen and quickly wrote a message. It was short but meaningful, and it was for his brother. Finishing the message, he put the scanning viewer on and saw another shuttle heading in his direction from the Arabella. He pushed his fingers up over the panel and the engines began to roar, but the control panel began to get hotter and hotter. The Arabella's secondary shuttle bay was a new location to Galdar, evidenced by his reaction as he stepped through the doors. He stopped, mouth opening involuntarily as he looked at the unfamiliar diamond-shaped craft sitting on the deck before him. The first thing that shook him was its size. It didn't look big enough to take more than three or four people, so only just qualified for the description as a shuttle. What it lacked in size, however, it seemed to more than make up for in thrusters, engines, and control surfaces. There were even a couple of miniature warp nacelles encapsulated in the widest part of the design. 
Different, isn't it? A female voice called from inside the cockpit, interrupting his runaway chain of thought. Ah, absolutely, Galdar found his voice. Swiftly, he looked about for signs of concealed security officers. I take it uh, this is the Zephyr? He called, approaching the ship slowly, paranoia fading. What class is she? Oh, she's in a class all of her own, came the disembodied response. Come on up. Nodding to himself, it seemed, Galdar reached the side of the strange craft and gingerly climbed aboard. I assume the pilot sits in front? He asked as he pressed his way through the crammed rear cabin space. The woman in the co-pilot's seat, visible at last, straightened and nodded. As he pushed past her and settled into the seat in front, she spoke again. That should just about do it. Computer, initiate sensor integration test, Rory Alpha 3. Working, the computer responded in the same voice. Galdar looked round, startled. Welcome to the Zephyr, Ensign Galdar. To answer the easier of your questions, this ship started out as a personal project of my father, Commander James. He designed her as a smaller, less complicated version of the Aurora. He wanted something that could compete with the Aurora in, in a race, but at the same time, she had to be something cost-efficient. The Zephyr is made up of 90% stock parts and 10% custom parts. It's the reverse for her big sister. We fitted her with standard controls, a bioneural receiver, and my favorite, a holographic flight stick system to give the pilot more of a hands-on feel of control. We're still in the testing phase, but she's the only ship that we have to track down the target. I'll work the sensors and provide you with a course. Kaldar ran his hands over the helm console as it came to life, nodding in approval as the panels lit in mostly familiar patterns beneath his fingers. I uh, take it we're going to do a little flying then, he asked. Flying, she can do in spades, Rory smirked. It's the lack of major combat system that we need to be aware of. She's a sports car, not a tank. Suits me, he said, nodding in understanding. Training taking over, Galdar rapidly ran the Zephyr through the standard pre-flight systems checks. Some of the responses that flashed past his eyes were less than standard, but they appeared to be well within the expectations of the craft itself. Behind him, he heard the sounds of the rear seat systems initiating as his as-yet-unnamed co-pilot closed the seat and sealed the hatch. Checks complete. Galdar powered the engines of the strange craft and lifted it gingerly from the deck, watching as the space doors glided open in front of them. The long, angular nose of the Zephyr dropped slightly as he drove the shuttle forward, and the small, rectangular starfield expanded rapidly to fill his visual horizons as the ship punched through the protective doorfield, eyes rapidly adjusting to the change in light as the floodlit bay dropped away behind them. Galdar slewed the shuttle toward the nearer of the planets, and as the stars wheeled around them, took a deep breath. So, where are we going? he asked. Adjust heading to this course, Rory smiled to the Ferengi, and brought the projected flight path to the HUD. By the way, I'm Rory. Eric quickly exited the lift as it reached the bridge and moved towards the captain's ready room. The information that Eric had managed to gather from the ship's computer had confirmed that Quinn was not involved in any wrongdoing, but SI had taken their time in reviewing the materials. On his return to the Arabella, they finally granted Eric permission to bring the captain in on the existence of the investigation. Eric took a deep breath and entered the ready room. 
Captain, I'll keep this short. Starfleet Intelligence has been running an operation to see if the crew is compromised by Section 31. I have just received a communication that clears you of any suspicion of harboring sympathies to Section 31 and grants you access to the existence of the investigation. Eric closed his eyes briefly, then returned their focus upon Quinn. I have just unlocked a file in the system, SI-14291. It's a detailed log of everything that we have done to this point and its findings. Quinn stood, took the pad, and then sat back down at his desk and began to read. Eric continued. SI gathered some information and discovered that two of our officers have family members connected to 31. They were looking into what we knew and why we didn't inform them of this connection. There are two vessels that SI wants us to intercept and suspects they want brought in. This and many of the events happening on the ship was a sting to capture known 31 operatives and to draw out any we didn't know. We're coming into the last stretch, but I'll need to coordinate the operation for my wife's ship. There's technology there that we don't have. Eric knew that it was a lot to take in, but time was running short. Quinn looked up at Mr. James' anguished face and gave him a quick nod. You have your orders, Commander. The Arabella and its crew is at your command. Galdar angled the safari in the general direction of August II, reveling in the maneuverability afforded by the small craft. It took a measure of conscious effort on his part not to throw it into an aerobatic display, but there was a time and a place. This wasn't it. As the Telluride shuttle grew ever closer, Galdar turned his thoughts to the occupants. Andrews and the old man had left a starbase over an hour ago, but here they were, still in sensor range, still within the yoga system. It didn't make any sense. The proximity alarm sounded in Galdar. I still looked into the hut indicators before him, threw the shuttle into a looping roll as a stray piece of debris barreled through the space as if I had just occupied. The deflector may well have handled it, but for a rock that size it wasn't guaranteed with a small shuttle like this. Anyway, Galdar admitted with a grin, while at the computers have all the fun. She handles well, he called to Rory as he brought them back on course. He turned his attention back to Andrews and his passenger, and, reaching a decision, he tapped a pad on his console. Galdar to Andrews, he said quietly. Galdar to Lieutenant Andrews, he tried again. Glancing at the console, he continued. Nick, I know you can hear me. The channel is open and I somehow doubt you're suddenly dead or unconscious. Please respond. He waited for half a minute, but he had nothing. Look, Nick, there is no way you can outrun the ship in that bulky old grade, no matter how good it looks. He paused, making another course correction. I don't know what's going on, but it looks to me like he doesn't have too much longer to run. Do us both a favor and pack it in now, and I may even forget that you tried to kill me today. They are turning, called Rory from what felt like just behind Galdar's head, making him jump and causing the sephora to shudder slightly in response. He found the front and back seating combination was taking a bit of getting used to. Come to new heading 006 mark 214, and we'll head them off before they duck behind that planet. Aye, said the Ferengi as he brought the nose of a sephora up and around the new bearing. We can beat them easily at impulse, continued the hologram. But what if we've got warp engines? They top out at warp 5. Security disabled a fugitive's warp drive, but it's not unrepairable. From my scans, we won't catch that thing if I fix it. Galda nodded and partially turned in his seat. Any chance I can drive that tolo, what's it, control interface you talked about earlier? Rory smiled at the domed orange skull before her and made a quick control selection. There you go. It's designed to be fairly simple. She started. Got it, called Galra. 
grabbing the stick and throwing a separate tight corkscrew before settling back on course. Eric smiled to himself from the operations station on the bridge of the Arabella. Telemetry from Una's cloaked vessel provided him with the location of their target. The very cloaking device that he had been using now served as a beacon to the Arabella's sensors. Eric keyed in a sequence that transferred the information to Starfleet Intelligence, then opened a communications channel. James to Admiral Shawas. From his display panel, the channel opened and she appeared on his screen. How can I help you, Commander? As stated in my previous report, there are no SI sympathizers or agents aboard the ship. The two targets that we spoke of have been located. I have dispatched a shuttle to recover one of those targets and a sympathizer that is with him. I have also transmitted the detection codes that SI can use to hunt down the other targets. The Admiral nodded. Given that the Arabella is still in repairs, I cannot expect you to launch in pursuit. SI thanks you for all that you have done to assist in this investigation. Eric frowned. Permission to speak freely, Admiral. Granted, Mr. James. Eric took a deep breath. Why did you even need to come to me with this? There was no damn way that Quinn, DeCallan or Savril were compromised. They have put their lives on the line constantly for this crew, this ship and the Federation. How could you even begin to suspect them? Shawas sighed. We never suspected them, Mr. James. We knew that they would not betray their oaths, but we also knew that they wouldn't simply turn on those that they love. This was a test, Mr. James, and it was you that we were testing. SI needs agents that are willing to step outside of their comfort zones to complete the mission. We need agents that will stand by all the articles of the Federation, and not simply twist one up to suit their needs. You have proved yourself in being able to meet the needs of Starfleet Intelligence. We will be in touch. Show us out. Eric shook his head and closed the channel. He did not begin to know how he felt. He did his job, and he was happy for that, but it alienated him from the rest of the crew. Shawas might have thought that he was doing what he did to protect the Federation, but it wasn't just the Federation. He did it to protect his family, those of his blood and those who had become that while serving with him. It was an offer that he might have to seriously think about. Section 31 was a serious threat, and one that he was starting to think that it was time to end. Theon DeCallan sat calmly in the oversized pilot's chair, built for a Telluride's bulky physique and manipulating the controls of the shuttle headed for the planet of Ogus 2. He'd quickly discovered the lack of warp drive functionality, which at least explained why the ship was still in this sector. It looked like Andrews had given up trying to get the drive online a while ago, while Theon was still incapacitated, and had opted instead to head into the Ogus system and try and hide among the planets and moons there. With no warp drive, it had either been that or head out into open space and hope to be lost to sensors or picked up by someone friendly. Nicholas Andrews moaned in the corner of the cabin, distracting the agent from his thoughts. Looking across, Thurman saw the lieutenant raise a bloodstained hand to a bloodstained head and attempt to open his eyes. The left one was fine, but he didn't look like he was having much luck with the right. What's happened to the warp drive? The agent snapped out as he looked back at the damaged panel before him. I don't know, Andrews muttered. Looks like security fixed it. Not normal procedure. He lifted his head for a moment before letting it fall back against the wall of the cabin where the Callan had dumped him. How long will it take to get it fixed properly? The Australian continued. <laughs> snorted Andrews. That depends on when we can stop and how long for. It's probably not a big job, but it's not going to be possible while we're bowling along at full impulse. Thurman nodded but said nothing. He was as much as he'd worked out for himself anyway. 
He couldn't imagine how he'd fallen in with his bunch of amateurs, and their inside man didn't have a clue what had been done to their ship, and the prime movers had both been detained. This was a singularly sloppy operation. Thanks for the guessing you gave me, father, he thought sarcastically. Look where he got me. Looking at the sensors, he had to admit to himself that it was also probably going to be a short operation. Taking a damaged cloaker device from his pocket, Theon smashed it against a smouldering panel and took a small red disc from the remains. He looked at it, turning it slowly in his hand. It was cold but beautiful. He shook his head and then popped it into his mouth and swallowed hard. Reaching across the damaged panel to the co-pilot's controls, Theon de Callan powered up the refitted weapons array. Andrews has at least managed to get one thing right. We should be in weapons range, Galdor called to his backseater. Rory obediently activated the phaser array mounted beneath the nose, and a beam of energy speared the larger craft, coruscating off the shields. Direct hit. Their shields are down by 3%, she stated with a hint of a smile in her voice. But I don't think that's going to do us any good, is it? muttered the Ferengi. Well, I did tell you this was more sports vehicle than weapons platform, the hologram chided. We do have other mechanisms at our disposal. Just stay with them. Staying with them in this ship won't be a problem. We'll overrun them in a couple more minutes, but if the weapons are that ineffective, what are you going to do? Throw Hyperion beetle snuff at them and hope the sneezing fit causes them to stall? Sarcasm, Ensign? Royer inquired with a laugh. That's not quite in line with the description I received of you from my father. She worked the panels before her as she spoke, powering up the micro-torpedo launchers. Galdar grinned, swinging the Zephyr slightly off to port, aiming to get between the ship and the planets of the Ogus system, and prevent any attempt to lose them in orbit. A burst of energy lanced out toward them, glancing off the starboard shield as Galdar instinctively pulled the craft into a roll and ducked back behind the shuttle planets and moons wheeling about the periphery of his vision. That seems about as close enough for comfort, unless we have shields that are disproportionately strong. Whatever you're going to do, I hope you can do it from here. He paused as another beam of energy struck out, this time taking the ship full on the nose. Or hereabouts, he completed as he pulled the stick back, lifting the Zephyr and allowing the remainder of the energy beam to pass harmlessly below them. I know we need to act quickly, but we can't simply board and subdue them, said Galdar, gesturing wildly with a free hand. One of us has to stay with the Zephyr, and even if the other could get through their shields and hold them alone, we'd still have to get them aboard in order to take them anywhere. There simply isn't enough room in here to hold two uncooperative prisoners, one of whom is possibly equipped with the ability to generate mind-altering pheromones. The Zephyr was still tailing the Tellarite shuttle, but something was now clearly wrong with the larger craft. Their shields were still holding, but she was practically drifting in space from failures in the reaction control systems. Additional scans revealed that their targets had transferred much of the ship's available power into strengthening their shields. Unseen, Rory nodded. There is another way. What? How else can we take them? We've already ruled out tractor in them. Galdar's hands flitted across his controls, betraying his nervousness by their staccato movement. After we take down their shields, we can use the transporter. But we've already discussed. Let me finish. We can use the transporter to beam them from the ship and keep them in their pattern buffers. 
From there, we'll have 420 seconds to get them to the stalwart. Abruptly, Galdar stilled. He turned his head and caught Rory's eye. If that's what we need to do, then we'd better be very sure there's no alternative. He stopped as a new thought hit him. You are Starfleet, aren't you? Yes, Ensign, I am, said Rory. I was designed to serve as an emergency command hologram in the event of critical loss of life, but I don't hold rank. You're a hologram? So it's my call. And my responsibility if we fail? This isn't my first mission. And we will both be held responsible if we fail, Rory replied. From Beamout, we hold them in the transporter buffer and get them back to the Solwalt and Starfleet Intelligence. They're already moving to intercept us, so as long as nothing out of the ordinary happens, we can do this. Galda tried to think of another way out, but there was really only one decision to take. If he left the humans aboard the shuttle, they'd possibly die. If he beamed them onto the Zephyr, he'd probably die, and while the planet was a possibility, it wasn't quite close enough yet. Slowly he nodded. Uh, make it so, he said with a grave smile. And may the blessed exchequer look favourably on me if we fail. Thieman fired what weapons he had, but the guiding sensors were so damaged it was like letting off a party papu in a darkened room. Fixing his gaze at the scanner, he knew time was running out. Options were thin. Looking back at Andrews, he whispered in thought. I could eject you out of the airlock. Maybe they'd find that a distraction. He smiled and shook his head. Nah, he'd only go and screw that up as well. Sitting back down, he powered up the engines to maximum and made the whole shuttle a ticking bomb. Let's see how far we can burn this thing out. Thurman sat back and put his feet on a damaged control panel and put his hands behind his head. After a heavy sigh, he began to whistle an old Australian tune about a swagman sitting under a cooler bar tree as bits of metal and steam swam around him. Shuttle shields are down, Rory snapped, as the final volley of micro-torpedoes succeeded where their phasers had failed. Energizing. Galdor waited for his cue, holding the Zephyr parallel to the unmanned shuttle off their starboard bow. Done! Go! Go! The Ferengi gripped the control stick tightly and half-spun, half-rolled the Zephyr round onto its new course. Hang on! he called as he pushed the impulse power demand to the limit. It could get a little warm in here. However good the tech is, driving things this hard is going to generate heat. He could hear the smile in Rory's voice as she replied. A definite advantage to me that I'm not susceptible to such things then, isn't it? Galdar grinned in turn. Try and get me as much as you can from the engines. This is going to be tight, and while Nick did try to kill me, I'm not keen on returning the favor. The Zephyr roared through the silence of space, arrowing toward the point of the intercept with the USS Stalwart. To Galdar, time seemed to extend and slow as all of his skill and ability was neutralized by the simple need to point the shuttle in a straight line and achieve the maximum velocity possible. Tapping a panel, Rory called, Rory James to Stalwart. Jefferson here, go ahead. Captain, we have the targets and are en route to the rendezvous. Uh, have transporters and security teams standing by to receive in approximately six and a half minutes. Acknowledge, transporter room is awaiting prisoners. As he listened to Rory close the channel, Galdor was aware that the cabin was growing detectably warmer as the engines raced and systems started to feel the strain. He thought back to his test flight aboard the USS Ninseska, 
a flight that he'd longed to extend and a craft he'd wanted to push to the limits. With the Zephyr, he got his wish, and, while he was fairly sure Lieutenant Commander James would sign off on the stress he was putting on the ship, this wasn't the joyride he'd envisaged. Coming into range of the stalwart in five minutes, we have one minute window, called Rory over the noise of the engines. Galdar simply nodded and tried to push the ship faster. Two minutes, Ensign, Rory James stated, after an extended period of silence. Galdar still said nothing, but the tension in his shoulders spoke volumes where words would have offered little. He was afraid. Afraid that he'd made the wrong choice. Afraid that it'd take too long. Afraid that he'd killed his friend. Without warning, the impulse power relay exploded in a shower of sparks and sent the craft into a barrel roll. Galdar worked to pull her back on course, aware of the seconds ticking down on Rory's display. After a struggle, he managed to pull the ship roughly back in line, and his hands jumped to trim the power distribution. Rory was turned in her seat, shooting a jet of extinguisher fumes into the smoldering access panel behind her. Heisenberg compensators are down. Starwood will need to take them from the buffers. We can't bring them back like this. Turning back to her console, she checked the numbers. Had she been organic, she would have paled. We're losing speed, she said flatly. RCS thrusters are at 40%. Impulse engines are venting plasma. Transporter range now in 3.5 minutes. Galdar ground his teeth. How long do they have? 167 seconds. The answer was enough. Fighting the controls to hold the Zephyr on course despite the now mismatched thrust, Galdar said quietly, Rory, prepare for warp. I answered. Rory's hands moved to implement the appropriate protocols. Entering warp close in a planetary system wasn't desirable, but the hologram agreed with the Ferengi's unspoken assessment. Despite her electronic nature, she wasn't immune to the pressure and the emotion of the situation. Ready. Have the stalwart standing by to take them from the pattern buffer as soon as they can. 113 seconds to pattern degradation. Nodding, Galdor reached out and tapped the innocuous control on the panel before him. Space around the shuttle blurred as the warp drive engaged, and the small ship leapt forward. Zephyr to stalwart! Do it! Galdar shouted as the Zephyr snapped back into normal space almost instantly, searing down the port side of the stalwart. Stalwart has them, and with over a minute to spare, Rory replied calmly. She watched quietly as the Ferengi before her visibly relaxed and brought the Zephyr down into its heading velocity into a semi-controlled stop. Behind them, the stalwart was also slowing and turning, reversing course. Jefferson to Zephyr, a deep male voice broke through the quiet of the cabin. Glancing back at Rory, Galdar cleared his throat. Anson Galdar here, sir. We have them both safely, Anson. You may stand down. Thank you, sir. Galdar couldn't quite keep the relief from his voice. We're coming around to get you now. From the state of your impulse engines, I'm assuming you could use a tow? Yes, sir. Thank you. A shadow spread across the canopy of the Zephyr from the rear, blotting out all the illumination from above. As Galdar locked up, the Defiant-class USS Stalwart quickly followed the shadow, gliding majestically into view. The Zephyr juddered as it was caught in the shimmering glow of a tractor beam and took on the velocity of the starship. And Ensign, the voice continued, if you ever feel the need to try the Picard maneuver in the vicinity of my ship again... Please consider having the courtesy to inform me first. Jefferson out. As the channel closed, Galdar grinned and sat back in the chair while Rory shut down the non-essential systems of the Zephyr. 
It had been well masked, but Galdar had caught the unmistakable hint of smothered laughter in the back of Captain Jefferson's voice. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's post-reading. As you can hear, things are starting to wind down. Hopefully, within a week or two, we will have Season 9 over with. We plan on taking a brief break, and then we will begin Season 10 of the Chucks and Sci-Fi RPG game. So before I leave, I want to thank some of our writers and readers. So for our writers this week, we have Feathers, Jen. Just X, Hawkeye Meds, and Star Trek Fanatic 5. And for our readers, I would like to thank Hawkeye Meds, Moyer777, Star Trek Fanatic 5, Cosmonaut, Angelus, and Dinghead. Thanks, guys, for uh, writing such great stuff. And especially thank you to our readers. Um, it's pretty much the same team I have week after week, which is fantastic because... Uh, it saves us a lot of time than having to read them ourselves, and I know our listeners really enjoy hearing the story uh, read out each week. So I really appreciate you guys, and everyone is doing a fantastic job. So that is going to do it for this week's The Ready Room. This is Kenny, hailing frequencies closed. The Ready Room theme and other RPG music was composed by Rick Moyer. All other music was obtained through the Podsafe Music Network. Read more about the adventures of the USS Arabella at treksandsci-fi.com. Greetings, guildies. I'm Kenny. And I'm Jenny. After listening to this great podcast, why don't we turn into our podcast? Knights of the Guild. The official fan podcast for the web series The Guild. Each month, we'll bring you the latest news about the Guild cast, including what projects they're working on and what conventions they'll be attending. Also, we'll be updating you on the current season. We'll talk about some behind-the-scenes fun of Season 2. As well as having cast, crew, and fan interviews. So head over to iTunes and subscribe to Knights of the Guild. Or go to our website for a direct download at knightsoftheguild.podbean.com. Zaboo! <laughs> Hi, I'm Rick Moyer, and I want to tell you about my brand new podcast. It's called Take Him With You. Every week I talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television, music, and in my faith. My hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing, for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit. So come check it out. www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. How cool is this podcast? That means that you, excellent people who are listening to this cool podcast, are even more cooler. How cool is that? So once you finish listening to this podcast, why don't you come over to our podcast and give us a go? We're called Waffle On. You can find us on iTunes. Simply type in Waffle On. Or go to our webpage and you'll find us at http colon forward slash forward slash waffleon.podbean.com. We do TV. We talk about classic TV from 1960 to 1990. You'll find everything here, from sci-fi to comedy, from drama to thriller. Come and check us out. We're called Waffle On. <laughs> no, I don't think he likes you at all. <laughs> no, I don't like you either. <laughs> I love that. That is so great. That's good writing. Yes.
Because it's not much dialogue. And because <clears throat> George Lucas didn't write all the <coughs> dialogue. <laughs> I'm Jen. And I'm Angela. And when you're not listening to this glorious podcast, we would love to have you listen to ours, the Anomaly Podcast. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. 